J. Susie. Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. you're listening to Bushwick Junction on Radio Free Brooklyn. This is a show about life's inflection points hosted by me, Asha Saluja. It's about the crossroads in our lives, which paths we choose when we reach them, and where those choices lead us or don't. We'll talk about the decisions we agonized over and the decisions we didn't even realize we were making until years after we made them. We'll talk about how we decide things, how we weigh our options, or how we tap into our intuitions. And we'll talk about the degree to which our choices matter. Do we have any control over the things that alter our fate? Or do we end up in the same place no matter which roads we take? On each show, I have a guest tell me all the big decisions they've ever made in order. We start with birth, we fast forward to their first big decision, and we map out the road their life has taken as a series of these inflection points or junctions. With that, I will introduce today's very special guest. Abby Coulter is a, an Australian transplant living in New York for the past 10 years, a project manager in advertising, but still on a life path of, of where her career will lead next, a dog mom. Uh, a hair aficionado, uh, and a part-time uh, cosmetologist, and a survivor of lots of uh, emotional bumps in the road that we're going to get into in today's episode. Hi, Abby. Thank you for hey, being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's really rainy out in Bushwick today. Um, Abby traveled here from somewhere else in Brooklyn, and... Uh, yeah, I hope that our episode doesn't match the the sort of glum situation that we're facing once we leave the studio outside. So, Abby, tell me the answer to the first question on the show, which is tell me about the circumstances into which you were born. Sure. So I was actually born um, into a pre-made family, kind of. Um, my parents were both divorced um with previous marriages my mom had three girls already that my dad was amazing and took on as his own um so my parents actually fell in love hard from day one and then decided that they wanted to have a child together um so I was the fourth of the of the girls and uh yeah, it was amazing. My childhood was great. My parents were always in love. So 
it always was a nice blueprint for me That's going so into sweet. yeah and you were the fourth of older sisters yes. three older sisters yes uh and it sounds like you just had a really happy household i did i mean of course four girls it was pretty crazy but um in general it was a pretty amazing childhood um my parents just gave us everything and we traveled a lot so it gave a really nice um learning experience as I grew up. Are you the only one who's here in the US? I am, um, which is kind of bittersweet. I, you know, miss my family very much. Um, But being here, it's, you know, I've been here nearly 10 years, so New York's home now. Um, So yeah, it's it's kind of, it's strange for me. I I do miss home, but um, it's sort of New York's that place you can't leave. Which... Leads us into our first big decision, mm-hmm. um, which is moving here in the first place. Yeah. Is that what, how old were you when you decided that? I actually, it, New York, the decision and then the actual move, it was a really long time span. Oh. Um, it wasn't just an immediate, hey, I'm out of here, see you later. It was definitely um, a long time coming. And it was a lot of planning and hard work to get here. Um, so I feel like I really, you know, coming here, I it was a, it was a hard slog. Uh, I came to New York in two thousand, um, actually, and it was my last stop on a worldwide backpacking tour that I'd done with a girlfriend. This is a very Australian rite of yes, passage. Yes, I, I know understand. we all do that. The walkabout. <laughs> so. We uh, we ended up in New York um, as our last stop with no money um, and stayed with random people and Great ended up place for no money, of course. So, but ended up staying here honestly with very random people that we'd met in the Greek islands, which was a crazy, crazy, crazy thing. Um, but it ended up being three weeks of honestly, what was the first time I felt like I belonged. Wow. I, I was in New York and I just, I remember saying to my friend, we we're walking around and just so many crazy things happened here that made me feel like this was the right path. So I'd said to her, I'm definitely going to live here one day. Like, this is it for me. And it was because I really felt like it was a place that was, it really was the land of opportunity and I could make myself into whoever I wanted to be. Um do you remember anything specifically that happened that made you feel that way? Um, Not just that it was the land of opportunity. Yeah. I know this is the story that exists about New York and yeah. you, you probably I know it sounds so that. cheesy, but... but do you remember anything that happened that made you feel like you fit in? Um honestly it was that the energy here mm. was just I'd never felt that kind of energy before in a city and just I had a lot of random you know, sort of introductions with lots of people. Everyone was so friendly. It wasn't at all the, you know, how people describe New York in general is that, you know, they're not friendly. Everyone walks past bustling, no one talks. But I had actually the exact opposite experience where it was extremely welcoming. Every day just felt exciting and I met new people and just did the craziest stuff. Um, You know, I randomly met uh, friends that we were staying with. He worked at MTV at the time and back then TRL was still a huge show. Mm. And he got my friend and I free tickets to go and, you know, we 
unbeknownst to us, Janet Jackson was the guest, oh which was crazy. And we'd actually um, – we were going to see her in New York. That was one of the reasons we came here <gasps> as our last, like, present to ourselves as poor backpackers. And she was actually on the show and we met her, like, in the commercial break and it was wow. just kind of like, okay, this stuff would never happen in Melbourne. So <laughs> it was, like, a very random thing. But – just in general, honestly, we just had such an amazing experience here and I just knew I wanted to come back. So when I went home, I just really dug into my career in advertising and really worked hard to get to a point where I was um, attractive enough from a, on the resume standpoint that I could get sponsored. Gotcha. So, so that was the consideration. It was like I need yeah. to convince an American company exactly. to hire me. Yeah, to get that work visa. And, you know, that was a long time. I That was in 2000 and then I didn't actually move to New York until 2009. So I was already 28 when, gotcha. I, when I moved here, um, which, was, which was pretty crazy. But I always wanted to do it. It never left me. Um, and it was something that kind of shaped my 20s because – I I never really committed in relationships or really put roots down in Australia because I just knew, like in my gut, I just had this feeling that I, you know, needed to have that time in New York. Wow. That yeah. might be the longest brewing decision uh, that I've heard about on this show. It was crazy. And, you know, I had a lot of, you know, not a lot. I had probably three major relationships in my 20s that I think I look back now and, you know, a lot of my choices or my what they would call handbreaking or arm's length was because I always knew like that was my path, that travel and experiencing something outside of Melbourne was was where I needed to go because it would haunt me forever. Wow, that's mm-hmm. fascinating. And so, uh, so right before the show, we were talking about um, both of our envy of people who make decisions yes. easily. But it sounds like you did that. Well, you I mean, talking to you, I, I feel <laughs> like maybe, yeah, I, I mean, New York was always that that thing that drove me to wow. work harder to, you know, really get to where I wanted to be. But I still don't feel content. Like, you right. know, that never goes away. Fascinating. Yes. So you, you live, you're living the dream, but now the dream is over and you need to find a new dream. Yeah, How it always it's like goes. this never-ending pursuit you know it's like people I see that have what I think is everything you know or they're content with the choices they've made whereas I constantly feel driven to be like what's next what can I learn where can I go well I think there's plenty to be said about the value of each of those paths or Mm -hmm. outlooks but I did think it was interesting you didn't say when I feel jealousy it's like oh I'm jealous that person has that or is that that life stage or that career path? Mm-hmm. But really, it's the same thing. It's like jealous of them being content. Yes. And that's exactly what you said. It really Yeah, for me, me, it's it's never, and it's what's ironic about that is it's the contentness that I'm I'm sort of not jealous but envy of a little bit, but it's not necessarily what I actually want, and I know that. Like I'll see friends, you know, living in the suburbs with kids and cars and assets and all this sort of stuff. But I know that's not where I want to be, but it's just their content level mm. with with their lot is what I, I see. And I'm like, oh, wow, how do I get to that point? But it's sort of, I don't know. 
Yeah. Maybe I'm meant to be a nomad for the rest of my life. <sighs> Restless souls. Yes. Uh, that's what we're talking about. So, I, yeah, it really is monumental that you geared sort of a whole decade of your life mm-hmm. toward this dream and this goal. And then once you achieved it, you got here and you were like, okay, what's next? Yeah. And we'll, l- let's keep that thread in mind. But I'm curious, in your 20s, as you were sort of gearing up toward this thing you knew you needed to do, mm-hmm. you mention you mentioned what you didn't do, which was put down roots and uh, sort of tie yourself to the mm-hmm. place you were. But what did you proactively do? Like what, uh, how, how did your resume crafting and sort of what did you think you needed to have to, to unlock this achievement? Yeah, and I think my path was very much shaped because I was, I went into advertising. Um, so, and the way I saw, really, I looked at it as how do I get my job to send me somewhere else? Right. How <laughs> did you decide to go into advertising? Briefly. Um, I actually um, started after I came back from backpacking, I needed a job and I got a job at a small agency um, and I started as like an online media assistant. Gotcha. Um, so when online media was the big thing um, and I started in that and I actually loved it, um, understanding media and just, and really getting into the creative production side. Mm-hmm. And once I got into that, I realized that my skill set and just my general um, approach to things and being an Aries <laughs> type A, um, yeah, I actually was a really good project manager. Um, and it sort, of, it sort of went from there. And then, yeah, I just knew that if I worked my way up through project management, producing and creative production, um, I could see sort of going into the bigger agencies that had global networks that was going to be hopefully my path to getting a transfer. Um, And I knew I needed to be at a certain level on the totem pole to actually even be considered for that. So, you know, I worked really hard to to get to that point. And ironically, it didn't happen for me. Um, I tried to go through that route and it just never really panned out. which I, you know, I think just happened for a reason. Um, I ended up randomly finding a small agency in New York um, that I pestered enough that they would give me a Skype interview, and I uh, ended Wait, up. Tell, let's go into detail about that. So you yeah. you reached out to them proactively. It was very yes, it was very random. But I was at a point where I knew I wasn't going to get transferred through my big agency. Um. And so I started really looking at agencies that were doing good work, creative work that I was interested in doing, um, but were nimble enough that, you know, they'd be open to sponsoring someone. Right. Um, so I found this small agency um, in, a, in New York. I don't know if I can say. Yeah, whatever. And, um, yeah, they were doing some really cool stuff um, and they were actually advertising that they were looking for, like, a producer but someone that had heavy agency experience because mm-hmm. they didn't really have that, someone that could bring a bit more agency process and stuff like that. Um, so I randomly emailed them and just said, hey, I'm the person you're looking for, but I live in the Southern Hemisphere, so give me a Skype call. And... We actually ended up having two Skype calls and gelled completely. Um, 
and they were really excited, but they came back and said, hey, we'd love to go forward with this, but sponsoring someone we've never met is a little weird and a little scary. So they said, we'd really like to meet you in person. We understand if that's not possible. So I said, okay, let me think about it. And I hung up from the Skype call and I decided within 10 minutes that I was going to take a flight to New York on a Friday. I called in sick at my job uh-huh. and I took a fr- I took a Friday flight to New York and I um, ended up spending th- two days with them um, interviewing in person and then I flew back and was back at work on the Tuesday. Oh, my gosh. Unbeknownst to anyone. Um, wow. So I, it was the most expensive job interview that I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> but thank God when I landed in Melbourne, I had a job offer in my inbox. So that was it. And then I moved to New York. That's wonderful. And ooh, we had a little mic bump. No worries. I think it's really telling. I do. I'm I do this myself and mm-hmm. I know people my age tell the story to themselves like, okay, this is the exact path I have to take to get to what I want. Yes. But like, it doesn't, it doesn't fit out that way sometimes. No. Sometimes you have to just go after the thing itself and not invent this story about how the thing will happen to you. Exactly. Yeah. And I've, I've learned that time and time again, you know, I'm, I'm old and wise now and I've seen, you know, the path that you think is going to happen usually doesn't, or there's lots of ways into something it doesn't necessarily need to be what everyone else is telling you. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this wasn't a question. Obviously, you were taking the job interview. You just put your put a bunch of resources and money on the line to uh, get yeah. the job. So uh, not a, a non-decision in terms of moving here at that point. No. Um, let's talk about the next big decision, which you mentioned is ending your marriage. And I don't know the timeline the marriage mm-hmm. or how that coincides with the job. So let's talk about that first. Okay. Wow. <laughs> this is a big one. So um, bullet points, basically New York for me was always a personal solo choice. It was something that I'd envisage that would be something I would do alone. Um, but before I was moving to New York, I ended up um, being in a relationship with a, a guy in Melbourne, um, and he happened to love New York as much as me. Um, and for some reason it, it felt like the right thing to do to let him be part of that path. Um, so we ended up moving together and, um, we were together for nine years total. Um, but seven years of that was in New York. And yeah, I think when we moved to New York, it was good because we were like each other's, you know, we were each other's only family mm-hmm. here. We didn't know a soul when we moved to New York. Wow. Um, and, yeah, we unfortunately by the seventh year I think New York had, you know, which I hear a lot happens to people in New York, but, like, it's that you're working a million hours, you know, you sort of become – less social and with partners, especially it just, we were both in very stressful, high powered advertising jobs, him being a creative, me on the producer side. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, and I just think we prioritize career over a relationship and that ultimately led to 
um, him making a choice to go outside of the marriage, mm. um, which was sort of hard for me to to deal with for the obvious reasons, but more that we'd always talked about that, just being overseas as an expat couple. We know, you know, there's a layer of risk in doing that. We saw a lot of other couples, expats come here and, you know, fail just being away from family and friends and you relying on each other so much, it's, it can be challenging. Um, so we had openly talked about that and said, you know, if this is gets too much or we need to change this, then let's be honest with each other. Um, and yeah, unfortunately he wasn't. Well, the honesty didn't come through, even though you'd open the door mm-hmm. for being accepting of whatever needed yes, to happen. Yes, yes. And we'd been together so long and had been friends for a very, very long time. So it just sort of that for me was the most disappointing part. Um, but, yeah, ultimately the day that I, I found out um, what was going on, I made a choice immediately and it felt really natural. It didn't – of course I was scared and it came out of fear, but I just knew like that – I didn't want to be part of this because I think ultimately it wasn't giving me what I wanted for a long time. Right. Um, the relationship. Um, and I could see that he wasn't prioritizing us and I was willing to do that. Um, and he wasn't. So we'd only been married two years. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. But you'd been together for quite a while. For seven. Yeah. So we'd been together for seven. Um, and then, yeah, we'd been married for two years and it just even though it felt short and funnily enough, I got a lot of judgment actually from people, family and friends who said, you know, oh, you've only been married two years, you gave up, you should have tried. Even with the infidelity? X, Y and Z. And yeah, and that for me was the biggest thing. I just, in the moment that it happened, it was like a a light switch went off and I had this huge weight actually lift off, off my shoulders where it was like, oh, it's not, it's not me you know, causing this. It's actually you're being untruthful. Right. Um, and I immediately knew that it was the right thing for me to do. It was just a gut reaction. I just knew I was like I was done. And he was almost shocked, I think. He expected me to sort of just get over it. Really? Um, yeah, which was honestly the most shocking part. Like his behaviour once I found out was so unbelievable to me and friends and family that now look back um in that there was no sort of apology or closure wow or explanation it was just he was silent but waited just wanted me to work through it get over it and then we'd move forward and I just knew I didn't want to be in a situation like that I and I you know I sort of now like at the time it was extremely hard but now I look back and I'm I'm so thankful that I sort of prioritized myself. Yeah. And it sounds that. like two strikes now, the decision wasn't really hard. Yeah. It's, it, this is another decision that you just knew and It's so funny that you say that. I'm realizing this as you're telling me back, you know, the things that I've I've been sure about, I've just I've known and I've gone after them. Yeah. And that was, you know, as hard as that was and being in New York, as you know, like moving Apartments here is a nightmare and financially I was completely blindsided um, 
by the by this this news. So we actually had to cohabitate for eight months. Oh my god! After it happened, and and that was pretty crazy. Um, luckily, he travelled a lot for work, so we we sort of stayed out of each other's way. But that was that was really challenging. But I yeah. stuck to my guns, and I knew that I'd get through it. So it sounds like the decision was instantaneous and yes. the aftermath was was what was incredibly hard. And Yeah, definitely. And it's funny you say it because sort of the timeline, it felt like the New York decision too. <laughs> it was like mm. it happened immediately. I knew what I wanted, but it just took me a really, really long time to get where I am now. Wow. And that's just, that's just such interesting advice because it like, it, even with you knowing exactly what you wanted, mm-hmm. it still took... I don't know, a decade or a couple years yeah. to uh, enact the thing that you wanted. Absolutely. So it's like if you don't know what you want, maybe you're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of need to decide <laughs> and start making it happen because even if you're sure, it's going to take it a minute. It takes a while. Yeah. And that's wow. that definitely, you know, and even now, like it's been, you know, five years um, since I made that decision. Um, and you know, I think it has taken me a good five years to really get through it. Um, because- so it's been five years between then and now. Yes. Um, what really struck me as we were sort of chatting about what we'd talked about on the show was your decision about how to move forward was one of your most remarkable decisions, not just to end your marriage, but to, I, guess, I think you said to like accept life or say, say yes to let, is that? Am I thinking of something wrong? Um, I and choosing to move forward. Yeah, and I think, and that was the thing. I, yeah, you're right. Sorry, I'm just no, remembering okay. what we talked about. So, I think it, for me, why I just I trusted myself was because it was instantaneous. Like the feeling was immediate. There was no doubt. I just knew it was one strike and you're out because I was I was worth more than that. Um, and I, I didn't want to waste my life trying to fix something or, you know, constantly be dealing with, you know, someone else's doubt or Mm. are they in this really, can I trust you? Um, I just knew I didn't want that for myself. Um, and so the moving forward and, and being strong enough to do that was, you know, at times felt very challenging um, because even though, you know, we weren't together and I I was completely done with that person, it's hard when you're an expat somewhere, even if you're not in love with someone, they can still feel like home. Yeah. And that was probably the hardest thing I let go was that connection of, you know, he knows what I'm talking about. He's from where I'm from. Right. Um, so, you know, giving that up was was probably the hardest part. And now moving forward, it's been just trusting in myself that I'll be okay um, and trusting others and being vulnerable is, is my new path wow. to get better at. <laughs> what were some choices or steps you made uh, in that aftermath about how to sort of create a new home for yourself mm-hmm. in the absence of that one? Yeah. Um, 
the one thing I did that was really important to me was, and I hadn't lived on my own before, like completely. I'd always had like a roommate or lived with a partner or been home or even in hostels I was in with millions of other people. Of so um, I I found, um, thank God, I, I found a perfect little apartment in Brooklyn. Um, I was living in Manhattan at the time um, with my ex-husband and I just needed to totally refresh my environment. Mm-hmm. I knew I didn't want to leave New York even though it would have been so easy for me to run home. Um, and a lot of people, to be honest, expected that or said to me immediately, just get on a plane. Right. You know. Wow. And But something, again, like was holding me in New York. It was like, no, don't give this up because then he's won. Yeah. That's how it felt, you know, and it was like I'm, you know, for me it was New York was always my dream and he followed me here. So I was like, I'm not going to let you have this. Um, and I wanted to stay true to that. So I you know, picked myself up and found a place in, in Brooklyn that was a totally new neighbourhood for me, like totally fresh. And even though it was scary, I, I set up a home, which I sort of referred to it always as my nest yeah, because it felt like a girl nest. You know, I was like, it was my sanctuary. It was just me and my dog and I could really focus on healing. Um without any distraction. And honestly, I think for the first time since I'd been in New York, I was completely alone, but I think it was the most alive I'd ever felt and the most happy I'd ever felt genuinely because it felt like it was all mine, like I was doing everything. Yeah. I wasn't relying on anyone, you know. I was just taking care of myself and – it felt amazing. I really relate to that. Mm-hmm. And that feeling of not having to deal with anyone else's energy. Yes. And finding that when you're alone with yourself, it's it's a positive experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm I naturally I I'm a homebody. I love being home, but um that time for me was super important. I just it was I will always look back on that window of time where I was living alone and just healing and really just processing everything. I didn't necessarily always process it a healthy way. Um, it, it was quite a roller coaster, but it was definitely the right move for me. Let's talk about, I, I'm obviously lots of behaviors come into play when we're processing and mm-hmm. some are healthier than others, but was, was there any instinct to sort of bury yourself in work or stay busy or was your approach more to peel back and and yeah. fill your life up a little less? Um, I think it kind of, for me, what I've I've learned with this stuff is like the healing, it goes up and down all the time. It's not linear. Um, I thought there was just like this one way forward and you'd come out the other side, mm-hmm. but that was not the case for me. Um, and the behaviours or the things that I took on or adopted like to heal whether it was to escape, it was probably more escapism at the start. Um, a lot of just going out, partying, escaping in that way was, you know, 
the main focus and yes, throwing myself into work um, because I'd been blindsided at the time. Um, financially, I didn't feel stable, um, which was a huge learning for me in general um, that I now make sure like financially I'm good no matter what will happen to me. Um, but yeah, I just, I went back in and threw myself into like freelance work and just stayed busy so I could like do things I wanted to do. Um, but I also took a lot of time and sanctuary in close friends and people that I could really be myself with, which meant sometimes extremely vulnerable. Mm. Um, it's, you know, I'm one of those people, I'm, I'm sort of the strong friend that people describe. Um, but sometimes I actually would say, you know, I'm not okay. Yeah. You know, I, I need some that help. That takes strength. Yeah. That so, you know, that was, that was, that was the journey, but yeah, it was definitely ebbs and flows. Of yeah. Sounds like an all of the above approach. Like we're doing the escapism, we're doing the, yeah. the nesting. And it did feel like every week it was different. Wow. Depending on like what was going on. So. Right. Yeah. So I think at some point shortly after this life threw you a family curveball um, that probably is hard to talk about. It sounds like a one-two punch. Uh, yeah. So um, we have gone a little bit out of sync with the timeline. Sorry if I did That's that okay. to you. Um, but yeah, it was a one-two punch for sure. Um, but the, my dad got cancer, um, in 2011 and. So that was kind of right after you moved here. Yeah. So 2010, he was diagnosed 2011. It got progressively worse and he passed. Um, and. I'm so sorry. No, that's okay. Um, it's okay. I'm, it's a little easier for me to talk about now. Um, but yeah, that was something that was difficult because during pre-separation, my husband and I were feeling already quite distant. Um, and then my dad got very sick and I actually went home for about four or five months to help my mom take care of him and go through that process with her, um, and care for him. Um, as he got progressively worse and then ultimately, unfortunately he passed. So, but it's something that I needed to do and I'm, you know, so grateful that I had that time with him. And it's why I think as hard as it is to have lost my dad, because I was very, very close to him and he was my best friend. I will say, I know that sounds corny, but he was, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I feel like as hard as it is that he's not here because I went home and had that time with him and really reformed a new relationship with my mum, I feel at peace with it for sure. That's great. Yeah. Um, and so this this was before what we just talked about. Yeah. And it was kind of shortly after you'd moved here. So, yeah, um, we moved here and then my dad got sick. I went home. He passed and then I came back to New York. Um, What was it like deciding to come back? That was an extremely tough decision um, because 
it's hard to leave a parent when you know that they're going to be alone, you know. Yeah. It's And on top of that, my, my parents had just, you know, built their retirement house. Oh, um, and that's heartbreaking. That's one of the other reasons I went home because they were in the middle of building that when my dad got sick. So I went home to sort of help finish that out. And what's ironic is the weekend that it was finished, the house was ready for my parents to move into. It was like my dad waited until my mum would have a place to go be a sa- and be safe um, because, yeah, that weekend that the house was done, he passed on that Saturday. Wow. So it was sort of like he was just waiting for her to be okay. Right. So, yeah, that was that was pretty amazing. But um, I got my mum settled in the house and then knew that she had to start a whole new life. Um but it was without, you know, her love, her husband. Um, and they were just about to start that part of their life together, the retirement life, you know, travel, all that sort of stuff. So that was really tough to decide to still come back. And I talked to her a lot about it um, and even said, look, if you're not comfortable or you don't want me to go home, back to New York, you know, that's something – let's talk about it. Um, but she also understood and respected that I did have a life here. Um, so that was, that was a tough decision, but again, and I know this is probably going to sound super selfish, but I still felt like I wasn't done with New York. Like even though this major trauma had happened, I, I felt like I still needed to finish out my time and experience here. Yeah. So that's why I made the decision to come back. Um, and it's something, you know, I still, it's tough. I know my mum's at home, but it's it's the reality now of how people live. You know, we don't all stay home and live in the same street anymore. It's yeah. like. Yeah, it is really hard. That's yeah. really hard. I think our advancements in telecommunications Mm -hmm. make it easier you can see her face I mean honestly like having having Skype we Skype probably twice a week um it does feel like she's in the room and you know I think if Skype wasn't around and I didn't have something like that to communicate with her and see her in person um I probably I don't know I feel like I'd probably feel differently about needing to go home yeah for sure um, well, I don't think what you said sounds selfish at all. I think that, uh, all that anyone in our lives want for us is to be happy and mm-hmm. no one would want their own death to derail the plans you had for your life. Yeah. And I, I think deep down, and my mom said that to me is I think my parents always wanted the best for me. And I think that that's why I, I could come back to New York and, and keep going with this life um, here because I knew that's what my parents would want. They've always been super supportive. and Were they? Were they excited when you told them as a young person that you wanted to live here? Um, they actually weren't surprised at all because th- my dad was like, oh, thank God you're finally doing it. We're sick of hearing about it because it was sort of a an ongoing plan for me. Mm. Even when I was younger, before I visited, I just, I loved seeing New York in general. Yeah. Um, and 
yeah, they were finally like, we're so glad this is becoming a reality for you. You know, obviously they were like, cool, go off, spend two two years there and come back. Uh-huh. Um, and here we are 10 years later. So, <laughs> Are they continually supportive? Um, or I'm sorry, is she? My mom, my mom is definitely, she's always supportive, but probably um, in the last two or three years, she's been a little bit more vocal, not, not in a, a pushy way, but just sort of like, oh, you should come I home. You, yeah. I miss you. You know, and it, it is a factor that I think about a lot because, you know, my mom's 70. I threw a big surprise party for her last year. And, you know, that's something that I do think about, you know, I, I want to be and be there and spend time with her for sure. Like as she's getting older and the fact that she's alone, that never goes away. Um, So yeah, I do think about going home for sure. Doesn't it suck how life gives us more priorities than one and we have Mm -hmm. to choose between them? Yes. That Tell is me about it. On my mind. Um, let we haven't. This hasn't come up, but let's talk about your relationship and your own journey with cancer. Yeah. So, um, I it's a it's a really weird timeline. I I feel like so much was thrown at me in my life, like in my my New York years. It's it's been pretty crazy. I felt like not a lot happened to me prior to moving here and then just everything exploded um, in all the ways. But um, so after my, my dad passed, actually he passed in the August. um, I moved back to New York, got back into life. Everything was going okay. And then in the April, I had just a normal you know, girly checkup to see if everything was good and it came back abnormal. And then I started to have a few more in-depth tests and in the May um, I was actually diagnosed with cervical cancer. How old were you when this happened? Uh, 32. Wow. Young, which was crazy for me because when they told me – they referred me immediately to the women's oncologist at Mount Sinai and I went up there and I'm sitting in the waiting room and it's all just, you know, women, um, which was horrendous, like seeing all these women with scarves on their heads, like obviously had gone through chemo, Mm -hmm. a lot sicker than I was at the time. Um, But everyone, like I feel so naive even saying this, but just sitting there and looking at everyone and thinking, why am I here? Like, I'm so young. Like, why is this happening to me? Like everyone that was sitting in the waiting room looked like my mom, Hmm. you know? And this was before you felt, you didn't feel sick. No, at all. Um, And that's why, you know, getting checked all the time is is so important because it's the sort of thing that you just don't know. Um, It doesn't come up and tell you, Hey, this is, this is no good. Um, so yeah, so I went in and I ended up having surgery, um, pretty quickly after that to have everything cut out. Um, and what was really interesting to me was that 
through those conversations, the initial conversations with my doctor and the oncologist was because I was a young female at 32, all they were talking to me about was my freezing my eggs, fertility, you got to have babies. And it was a funny thing because I'd never thought about it before because I wasn't, hadn't been in this situation, but mm-hmm. I really, I was getting angry about it because I was like, I don't care about my fertility. I don't care about my eggs at this point. Just save me. I went into full survivor mode. Yeah. And afterwards I was like, wow, am I not maternal? Like, do I not want a baby? It was just, you know, but I just didn't understand why they were so focused on fertility and they were like, hey, we want to freeze your eggs and let's make sure that's okay. And I'm just like, I don't care about any of this. Did you say no? Did you... I didn't say no. They just said, look, if we need to go in there and do more things that are more aggressive, we'll need to do that. And I was like, okay, fine. I don't care though. That's not my priority here. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just a, an interesting thing because I'd never thought about it before and it made me think about, you know, then ultimately I went into this phase of my life where I was like, do I want to have a baby? Yeah. Because my first thought when this happened to me with cervical cancer was, uh, you know, I don't care about, I don't give a shit about my eggs. Like I don't care about this baby thing. Like, you know, make sure I'm okay. I just watched my dad pass. It's a very scary thing. Um, So yeah, that was just an interesting point for me because I, I hadn't thought about it before. Yeah. It's rare to have a huge decision thrust on you like that. Mm -hmm. That sounds that sounds really hard. That sounds like a really hard few years. And yeah. you at this point were still with your ex-husband. Yes. And that, did it create some distance or was it um, a supportive situation? I, I didn't, in the time, it's funny when you're in something, you really don't see the full picture. Um, looking back now, I do feel like there was already distance. Um, obviously he was there for me through my treatment, surgery, but you know, I likened it to after my surgery, he sort of, you know, made sure I got home and then made sure I got into bed and then that was it, like went back to work. Hmm. And at the time I was just, I, d- I don't know why I didn't think anything of it. Um, it just, it felt normal. Um, but just ironically looking back, I, I had another situation in my life a year, uh, two years ago where I had an emergency surgery in my colon and my now boyfriend, he um, took care of me after that surgery for like a good six weeks. I was like in bed, like couldn't move and, and he was amazing. Yeah. And it made me realise, I was like, wow, like this is what it's meant to look like. This is how it's meant to be. You know, I don't have to apologise for needing help and he's going to be there for me and he took care of me so well and it really it made me look back on my previous relationship with my ex-husband and and see how much distance there really was between us yeah even when I got sick well I'm so happy that you found a different version of that yeah makes me really happy yeah um, phew, I told you this hour would, would fly by. And I know, I can't believe it. We have a few more minutes and I really wanted to talk about um, a, 
a sort of career detour you took. Yes. Um, so you quit quit your career momentarily to go to cosmetology I school. I did, random but true. What uh, went into that decision? Like, were you at a point where your career was boring you? So it's actually funny. Like, now we've, we've talked through these decisions um, and you were talking about that I ultimately did really decide these paths long before the action happened. Mm. And now you've made me realize maybe hair was another one of those. Um, So, I mean, growing up as the fourth girl in the household, our house was, you know, all hair and beauty all the time. Um, And it was just something I was always genuinely interested in. And I loved taking care of people, um, you know, through hair, makeup, like anything like that. It was just fun to me um, because it made people feel good. And it was something that I always enjoyed and I knew it was a passion of mine, Mm -hmm. but I also, you know, chose a path that was more financially stable. It was going to get me overseas, things like that, that I thought would be the best path for me. And I have no regrets in that. Um, But hair kind of never left me as a passion. And it was something that I genuinely knew that I wanted to do at some point in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I got to New York, it was always something I kind of watched from afar, um, definitely from a shoot perspective. I knew that this was the place where the opportunity lied, you know. Oh, interesting. Yes. Like while you were on sets. Yeah, because I think for me hair was always, it wasn't the dream was to go and work, you know, in a salon or anything. It was I always was interested in editorial I loved styling in so general. So you were a producer on set and you were like, I would love to be the hairstylist on this set. I would see shoots um, in general and just, yeah, always be interested or drawn to, you know, the doers on set and the ones that um, got to do. I, I looked at it as the fun jobs. Wow. This uh, is so fascinating because how many hairstylists must there be on sets being like, yeah. Wow, I'm so jealous of the producer. No, <laughs> I don't know. I I definitely, you know, always was drawn to that yeah. world of hair and beauty um, for sure um, and always was interested in, in the editorial side. So I knew it was something I wanted to do and then um, I actually – was in New York and at the, I guess you want to say the highest stage of my career at the time. Um, I was a director at an agency in New York and, you know, running their PM department. Um, and, but I'd spent the last 12 months working on insane projects and lots of pitches and it was just madness. You know, I'd, I'd worked till three in the morning at the agency, go home, have a shower and go back. Um, it was, you know, that kind of insanity. Um, and then I hit a point at the end of the year where I got really sick. I think, I, and my body was just like, okay, enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and I made a decision over that Christmas that I was going to go back and do something that I was passionate about. Um, so I actually resigned on the 1st of January when I went back. Wow. And I started hair school in the February. Okay. And I chose to do it full time so I'd be finished quicker. Um, I felt like I was in a hurry because I was already in my 30s. Mm -hmm. So I I needed to get my skates on. And 
yeah, and I finished the course and immediately started assisting as many stylists as I could. I would see, you know, beautiful um, magazine shoots and I'd seek out who was the hair person. I'd email them wow, and be like, hey, let me come and hold a comb or <laughs> just observe and That's help so you. That's so cool. And you really had this in already. You knew. So I just knew yeah. that even through hair school, like I knew the styling was the part I wanted to focus on. So I, and I still assist to this day. Um, oh, cool. But, you know, hair's one of those things that's amazing, but in New York is is a hustle for sure. Right. Um, so I've chosen it for it to be my side hustle. I've, I definitely am still working um, in advertising and keeping that bread and butter money. Um, when you decided to go down that path, did you picture doing it as your main hustle? Um, funnily enough, I don't think I always, I think because I knew I wanted to do sort of shoot styling and I knew how sporadic that work was that I knew it was probably not going to be something I would do full time. And to be honest, like I do like being a project manager, you know, Yeah. ultimately like it's not as exciting, but it's, it's really where my skill set lies on in on that side of my brain so I kind of like that I have this I can toggle between both and for me it's you know the PM side I I'm the organizer and on the the hair side I can actually genuinely be creative yeah you know I we're talking about this decision to add something to your life Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking of the people we describe being jealous of because they're content and it's like there isn't a lot of room in society's narrative about a successful life for multifaceted people. Yes. Like it is not a neat narrative for you to say, my dream was to move here and I did it. And now I have a main job and another side job that I love. And that's my version of happy. Like doesn't look as good on an Instagram. I know. I know. And it's funny. It's something that I'm sort of learning how to be at peace with Mm. is because this idea of contentment, is typically that, you know, you've ticked all the boxes and everything's in a row and that's it. But I'm learning through myself that it's okay to have multifaceted lifestyles, you know, yeah. and having side hustles and I'm naturally a little bit entrepreneurial so I'll, I'll or I'll do a side hustle for a while and then go, okay, I'm done with that, next thing. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that it's, you know, that I'm – all over the shop and don't know where I'm going in life. It's just that I'm, I really like to learn and I like yeah. to grow and this, it's okay. That's what I'm learning. It's okay to, to kind of do different things and it, it doesn't yeah, to necessarily let trying to be, new things be your version of content. Well, that's it. Yeah. That's it. And I mean, you know, I'm 37 and I've just started a path of meditation and self-healing, um, which I hadn't done before. And that's my new thing yeah. that I'm I'm learning and growing in. So, and that's not going to be your main thing. That's no. just going to be something you do once or twice a day. Yeah, forever. that's it. That's it. I know. I'm just realizing. You know, you don't have to have just the day job, and that's it. It's like yeah. there's so much stuff you can do, especially here in New York. Right to build yourself into a fascinating person, which you are. That's Thank it. you so much for being here. This is a wonderful note to no end on. No worries. Um, I have some some things to talk about. Uh, like I mentioned, you're listening to me right now on Radio Free Brooklyn. 
RFB is launching an after-school program for local teenagers really soon in January of 2019 to learn media literacy through media making using a hands-on approach guided by local radio pros. If you're interested in donating to the program, go to radiofreebrooklyn.org slash after school. Uh, we're looking, we're actually recruiting for teens to join this program right now. So if you know a teenager or are a teenager, send them our way. Um, make sure to download the RFB mobile app. It's a good way to listen to this thing when you're not, you know, like in front of a computer. Uh, I think that's all I've got for you, for, for you listeners. I will be taking a couple week break for the holiday, but I'll be back on the airwaves in January. So, uh, listen in maybe the second week of January for my next guest. Ta. And Abby, thank you so much for being here. No, you, thank you. You have a crazy fun. and beautiful story, and <laughs> it was really inspiring to talk thank to you. Thank you so much. Let's see. I'm going to play us out with some music. Um, I think it's going to be the national. Sorry, that's just what's on my Spotify right now. This is Nobody Else Will Be There by the national. Have a good Sunday. Bye. So tied together What did you mean? Leave me in the stairwell in a second For a glass of gin Nobody else will be there then Nobody else will be there